Well, good morning. Um, I am not sure, actually, we're working yet. F5. Ah, good, we're in there. Lovely. Yes, the picture's up there. Uh, we were talking about Tom Smale earlier on. Just did a quick uh, kind of book plug for you. Tom Smale was an amazing guy. He was Scottish, which is pretty amazing to start with. But uh, he also had a fantastic ministry as a Presbyterian preacher in Northern Ireland and then changed uh, horses. He, he, he was asked to become the principal of St. John's College in Lichingham, which is an Anglican college. And he became even more famous as the vicar of Sanderstead in Surrey. Fantastic Bible teacher, fantastic writer. And uh, he wrote a book called The Forgotten Father because another thing about Tom was that his father died when he was very young. And he was always fascinated with the idea of God the Father. He was one of the pioneers of the charismatic movement. And uh, so he wrote in, in his book, The Forgotten Father, you know, we have a Holy Spirit movement going on at the moment. And we had the Jesus movement in America just a few years back. But really, when you look at it, Christianity is a father movement. Nobody talked about the fatherhood of God more than Jesus did. You won't find many references to it in the Old Testament. So it's a Christian idea. What does it mean that God is our Father? And if you want a good book on that subject, it's tough in some places, but it's based on his own experience. It's very practical as well. Then uh, uh, that's a, a fantastic book to get hold of. Tom Smale. Anyhow, it's not Tom Smale we're here to talk about. It's what the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans. So let's read just some verses from Romans chapter 12. Uh, last time we spoke about just two verses at the start of the chapter. We're going to get really ambitious this time and take verses 3 to 8. <laughs> Okay, so that's five or six verses. Whoa, that's going to be tough. Could be here at tea time. But anyhow, um, I think it's important to take chapter 12 slowly for reasons that I'll uh, rehearse in a moment. But let's just read the first eight verses of chapter 12, shall we? This is what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect, complete will. Now, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you, just as each of us has one body of many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. It is contributing to the needs of, if it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Okay, so we've started now on the last part of Romans. It seems a long time since we started with chapter one, doesn't it? But uh, we're on the last bit of the whole thing, and uh, we divided Romans, remember, into four bits. We've done the first three, which talk about what the Christian message actually is. And uh, at the end of chapter 11, Paul ends his complete 
exposition of everything that the Christian faith is all about. And he then says, this is how we need to live as a result. This has not just been theology, folks. This has been theology with purpose. Because if these ideas about God are right, it should, be, it should absolutely change your mind right around. And as we noticed last time, this whole section starts with a very important little word. I exhort, therefore, you. Un. That word means, okay, on the basis of what we've said so far, this is the deal. This is where we're going. This is what you've got to do. And we started last time, if you remember, looking at those first two verses. So let's look back just for a second at uh, what we said last time. We said that in these two verses, Paul gives us three important things. First of all, he tells us what we should do. Second, he tells us how we should make it happen. And then third, he tells us what the result will be if we do what he says. So let's look at those three things. What should we do? We said, well, he says, present your body as a living sacrifice. In fact, he says more than that. It's a living sacrifice, it's a holy sacrifice, and it's a pleasing sacrifice. And that means that what Paul wants us to do is take this physical body we've got, a thing that we wash and every morning, well, I hope you do, and uh, feed and take care of right through our lives and do all sorts of stuff with. Take this body and make it a living sacrifice. That means it's a not once for all thing. It's not jumping off a cliff, something like that, or jumping on a bonfire. It's a case of taking your body every day and saying, this is yours, Lord. You use it. You work through it. It's also a holy sacrifice. You're set apart now, which is the meaning of the word holy, to somebody else's service. It's there to serve God in this world, not just to do what it wants. And that makes that a pleasing sacrifice as well, because it's not about anybody else. It's not about making an impression. It's not about satisfying our needs. It's about pleasing him. And so Paul says, if you do that, then you will fulfill all I've been talking about in chapters 1 to 11. But how do you do it? That was the second thing we talked about. And he said, you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your thought life, your imagination, your dreams and your hopes and your ambitions, the things that go on silently in your head, determine what you will actually do with your body. And so getting your mind renewed is the important thing. And he says... What will the result of all of that be? Well, simply, he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Lots of people are wandering around in the world saying, well, is there a God? If not, why doesn't he speak to me? Where is God after all of this time? What does he want? You know, what's God playing at in the universe? And Paul says, you do this. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Allow your mind to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and you'll start to get a grasp of what God's will is. And he says three things about it in verse 2. You might have noticed it's good. It satisfies all of your needs. It's pleasing. It's something that pleases not only God, but you. It fulfills everything that you're there for. And finally, it's complete. There is no uh, issue in life. There is no situation you can get yourself into that isn't covered in some way by God's perfect will. He's thought it all out beforehand. He sees what's best for you. Therefore, that's the way to live. So then you have to move on. You have to say, okay, so what is God's will for us? When you're a Christian, what's it going to look like? How will you be different from what you were before? And there are some things that are pretty obvious, aren't there? For one thing, you've got a new character. If anybody's in Christ, says 2 Corinthians 5, he's a new creation. An old life has passed away. A new life has come. And all of this is done by God. And you change from the inside out. You become a more honest person. You become a more thoughtful person. You become somebody who just lives in a, a different kind of a way. Your character changes as the Holy Spirit gets to work on your life. 
And we know as well that your outlook changes. You live a life that's got a new hope at the heart of it. And you're filled with a new peace, even in the worst circumstances. The peace that passes understanding. You can't explain where it comes from, but it's there. There's all sorts of stuff in your outlook and the way you look at the world. You develop a Christian worldview. You care about things and people and problems that you never cared about before. All of that changes too. Then there are your habits. You start reading the Bible. You start coming to places like great parks. You, know, you do things that you never did before. You start doing some things that, that, that were just unfamiliar to you. You start giving away money because God lays something on your heart about, about supporting people uh, who, who, who are in need or, or, or who are serving God in other parts of the world. Your habits change too, and your community changes. As I say, you start spending time around Christians. You don't cut off your old friends. I mean, you're not going to reach the rest of the world if you cut off everybody that you knew before. But you start having a new circle of people who are around you to encourage you and help you and move you forward and into whose lives you can give a little bit of the love of Christ as well. So all of those things happen. Now, we know all this stuff, but there's one more thing, which is what Paul turns to here. There's more than just all of this stuff. What is this? Well, there's a verse in uh, 1 Corinthians that says this. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. And 1 Corinthians 12 is just one of the passages in the New Testament that lists the different gifts that God gives to us to help us serve him. Now, you might have thought that sending Jesus to die on the cross was enough. But God is a giver. He just keeps on giving and giving and giving. And Paul said earlier in Romans, hasn't he, in chapter 8, you know, if God gives his own son for us, and allows him to die so that we can be forgiven, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? The God who started to give just wants to give and give and give into your life. He's like my daughter Sandy, who is the ultimate super auntie. You know, she has no children of her own, but her sisters have got kids, and I've never seen kids get so many presents of an expensive type from their super auntie. And she's always thinking about new things to give to them because she just loves them. And God is a bit like that. Well, God's even more like that. He's Sandy to the max, really, God. And uh, he giveth and giveth and giveth again, as the old hymn puts it. And so it's not enough for him to send Jesus to die on the cross. It's not enough for him to give us a home in heaven and an inheritance we're going to get one of these days. Right now, he wants to give us gifts as well for his service. Now, as I said, uh, uh, the 1 Corinthians 12 is one of those passages. There are four of them, and they're easy to remember. One, obviously, is Romans 12, which is why we're talking about this right now. There's 1 Corinthians 12, which I've just mentioned. There's Ephesians 4, and there's also 1 Peter 4. So if you remember 12 and 4, you can remember where it is in the New Testament. The interesting thing about those four different lists is they don't list the same things. There's a good deal of overlap, but basically, they're, 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 they're quite different from one another. What that suggests is that none of those lists are complete. And maybe we don't have a full list of all of the gifts that God gives. Maybe there are different gifts that aren't even mentioned in the New Testament. But God equips us all in different ways by his grace uh, to serve him. Now, two important things that you should know about God's gifts to start with. First of all, we're not talking about things you're just naturally good at, Okay. You may be a great mountain climber, you may be brilliant at maths, you may be a good footballer or something like that. Those are natural attributes, natural gifts, if you like. Spiritual gifts are a bit different. Ephesians chapter 4, which is one of the passages that talks about the gifts, doesn't say, and God has put in the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, uh, strikers, and goalkeepers. 
So you might be good at football, but that's got nothing to do with it. Well, it might have something to do with it, as we'll explain yeah. in a minute. But, but basically, we're talking about something different. It's not just the things that you get uh, approving remarks about on your school report, okay? Those are your natural gifts. Spiritual gifts are things that God has given you that bless and help other people. More about that in a moment. But the second thing is, they're gifts that come with conditions. You might think, hang on a minute, it's not a gift then, is it? When somebody gives me a gift for my birthday or something like that, and there are no conditions attached, it's mine. I can do what I want with it. You know, you open a parcel from your auntie on Christmas morning, and it's the most repulsive jumper you've ever seen. And you think, no way in the world am I going to be seen in that thing. And so you re-gift it to the charity shop as soon as you open on December the 27th. <laughs> you can do that because it's yours. So a gift is yours, isn't it? Well, not necessarily, not all the time. I mean, think about this. Suppose that you are somebody with a billion pounds in the bank. Quarteng has just made it possible for you to get 40,000 4, 4, more, 40, more this year. And uh, you, you're feeling so wealthy that you go and buy your son a sports car. Only problem, well, you do that because, you know, Kwasi Quarteng's not going to be so generous next year, if he's even there, but that's another story. Uh, and so you buy it now. Trouble is, your son is 15. Ah, right. So you buy it for him, you give him the key, and then you say, but this is not for now. This is for two years' time when he wants to drive the car down the road and smash into lampposts and that sort of stuff quite legally. But it's not for now. Sometimes a gift isn't for immediate use. And sometimes you'll find that as you go through the Christian life, God brings gifts to the front that he's given you that you didn't even realise you had. I remember when I was uh, leading a mission in a very small church, a bit like this one actually, not, know, you're not very small, but you know, small, uh, in the middle of Dottingham. And uh, it was right in the middle of the city centre and they wanted to reach people that they'd never met before. And so just a few yards down the, from the, the church was the whole city centre with people circulating around. And they decided that to, to publicise what they were doing, they'd have a, a, a coffee uh, bar running every single morning and they'd invite people in for coffee and cakes free of charge and to have a look around the church. It was quite an interesting old building. It had been a theatre at one stage and uh, they had a display of the history of the building and all the rest of it. And they, and they sent people out down into the street to try to invite people in for coffee didn't work at all. And Gordon, who was the church secretary, whose father had been the church secretary before him, and his granddad had been the church secretary before him, was sitting getting more and more annoyed. Because Gordon had the gift of administration that ran in the family kind of thing, and uh, he was a very, very good organiser uh, of the church. But he was really annoyed with what was going on. Why can't these people get anybody coming in? So in the end, he said something you never thought he'd hear him say, I'm going down there to have a go. And do you know what? He was there 20 minutes, and he came back with a queue of 15 people behind him. And he led them all in and said, right, coffee, let's sit down and talk. And everybody else was just open-mouthed. They had no idea that Gordon could do this sort of stuff. And when they'd had their coffee, he went out and got some more, and they got some more, and got some more. It turned out that Gordon was just a naturally evangelist. But he thought for all his life, I am the church secretary. My father was the church secretary. My granddad was the church secretary. Now I am the church secretary. And he did a very good job. But he had another gift that he never really thought of using before. And suddenly, when he put it into action, he found God had really given him an amazing talent to communicate and connect with people. So sometimes a gift's not for immediate use. Okay, so the boy's got his sports car. His sister, meantime, is very interested in cooking. And so for Christmas, her granny uh, it, it gives her lots of cooking equipment and a, a, a big, colourful book about recipes and things like that. And she says, but 
I want you to use this to make lots of lovely cakes for your family. That tells you another thing about gifts sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes a gift isn't for you alone. <laughs> sometimes you bless other people through it. And that girl gets lots of pleasure through using her gift and making the cakes and icing them and all the rest of it and watching other people eat them. The other people in her family, they definitely benefit as well because it's a supply of cake that they never had before and that has got to be a good thing. And that's the thing with spiritual gifts as well. They're not given to you just so you can say, ha ha, look what I've got. They're given to you so you can use them to bless other people and the church you belong to. And okay, Christmas comes and the family clubs together and buys Granny a creature. <laughs> and she doesn't know where the on-off switch is. She doesn't know anything about it. And so for the next six months, you're getting phone calls from Granny saying, it's, it's gone wrong again. I don't know what I've done. I think I've just subscribed to a porn site or something like that. You know, the sort of things grannies do with computers. And that says another thing, doesn't it? Sometimes a gift involves a learning process. Sometimes you have to find out how to do it bit by bit. And it's the same with spiritual gifts. If somebody says to you, oh, I think you've got the gift of a, a Bible teacher, that is me, right, I'll do my series on Deuteronomy next week. Where do I start? No, you don't. You need to learn a little bit. And you need to develop that gift. And you need to have it encouraged by others. And you need to learn from other people who've got the gift. So it's a gift that you've got, but it's a gift with conditions. And there are four other things to understand about spiritual gifts. We will get to the passage in a moment. Honestly, we will. But four key things to understand about spiritual gifts. First, they are not earned or achieved. So if God has given you a gift for something that somebody else doesn't have, don't get big-headed about it. Because God gives his gifts as he wills to different ones of us. And we're not supposed to say, look at me, look at me. I'm, I'm an evangelist. I'm a teacher. I'm an apostle. I'm a prophet. Whatever. I remember meeting an American guy in, in, in uh, uh, Manchester. He came up and said, hi, I'm John. I'm an apostle. And I said, well, I'm John and I'm not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he was very, very proud of his status and it was his calling card. And that is not that way. Whatever God has given you, it's there for the use of others. So it's not something you've earned or achieved. It's simply given to you by God's grace. You can see that in the word. The Greek word used for spiritual gifts. It's the word charisma. And it's made up of two bits. First of all, the word charis, and then that bit on the end, ma, and when you put that bit on the end of a word in Greek, it means the result of. So charisma means the result of charis. And charis is the Greek word for grace. Something you don't deserve. Something you're just given. So whatever gifts you have got for God's service, they are the result of grace. The result of something freely given to you by a God who decides to, d to give different people different things as he will. So, it's nothing that's earned or achieved. Second, it's not the fruit of the Spirit. Just because the Spirit brings these things to us for spiritual gifts doesn't make it the fruit of the Spirit. Because in Galatians 5, do you remember? There's a list of what the fruit of the Spirit is. These are the things that the Spirit wants to produce in your character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. There are nine of them, and they're all joined together. It's not the notes of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's one character which God wants to develop in all of us. And that's the difference. Fruit is for everybody. We're all supposed to do those things. Because that's the new character that God wants to produce in us. Gifts they are different. You may be uh, one thing, I will be another. You will have a mix of gifts of one kind or another, and I will have a completely different mix. And those different gifts are important because we can all work in different ways 
to help the whole church become rich and, 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 and equipped and ready for anything. So they're not the fruit of the Spirit, that's different. Third, gifts are not automatic. We decide how to use them. That's why Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in Ephesus and says, Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you. Get to work, boy. Use it. Come on. You're a gifted individual. And Timothy was obviously a fairly, fairly timid kind. Of, I'm in Ephesus. It's a very big city. There are lots of Christians. I'm not sure they'll like me very much. And Paul's saying, stir up the gift. Go on. Use it. It was put in you by the laying on the hands. And that's another story as well. But he said, you've got this gift. You know you've got it. Go and use it. And that's why, of course, Paul is talking about it here, these verses we're looking at this morning. Because unless you choose to use your gifts properly, you can cause chaos and confusion. You really can. I mean, it's like God, God's gifts are like giving us cars. Some people get a Rolls Royce. That's Billy Graham, John Stott, people on that kind of level. Other people get Ferraris, Maseratis. I get a Volkswagen. Volkswagen Polo or something like that. You know, other get a Fiesta. Uh, and, and, and all of those cars can operate quite harmoniously together. They can all drive up the M6 from point A to point B without anything going wrong. But if they start doing the wrong stuff, start cutting in on one another, um, if one starts speeding and another suddenly slows down, if all kinds of things go wrong, then they crash into one another and what you've got is a mess, an absolute car crash. And there are too many churches that are car crashes because people are not using their gifts properly. So this is why Paul goes on to this. He says, look, if you guys are going to live as a church together, you have got to get this gifts thing straight. You've got to get it right. There's a fourth thing too, though, which is that gifts are not a badge of quality Christianity. Just because you have a certain gift does not mean that you're above everybody else. You can have a great gift and misuse it badly. Who was the most effective evangelist in the Old Testament? Well, it'd be hard to say, but one of them would definitely be Jonah. I mean, who else stood on the boat of a ship in a storm and led heathen seamen to fall down on their knees and say, the Lord is God, the Lord have mercy on us. That was incredible. And when did Jonah have that incredible evangelistic role? When he was on the boat running away from God, running away from what he was supposed to do. That is why you can have churches where loads of people come to Christ, led by ministers who turn out to be fake Christians, gifted Christians, but living in rebellion against everything that they seem to be. They're hypocrites, and eventually they're shown up. And people can lose their faith because they think, I put all my faith in that guy. And he turned out to be something different from what I was expecting. It is tragically possible to have great gifts and yet misuse them. Packer, a great theologian whom uh, we've seen uh, many times before on the screen, uh, says this about the, the gifts here. Gifts are of two types. There are gifts of speech and of loving, practical helpfulness. In Romans 12, 6 to 8, Paul's list of gifts alternates between the categories. Items 1, 3, and 4, prophecy, teaching, and exhortation, are gifts of speech. Items 2, 5, 6, and 7, the alternating ones, are gifts of helpfulness. And he says the alternation implies that no thought of superiority of one gift over another may end in. However much gifts differ as forms of human activity, all are of equal dignity. And the only question is whether one properly uses the gift one has. So you may think, oh, I'm not a very gifted person. Look at what that guy's got. Doesn't matter. God has chosen that because he wants you 
to, to bless everybody else and advance his kingdom and bring pleasure to his heart through using the small gifts that you've got. And you might find out that God can use what seems to be a small, very unimportant gift in an incredibly strategic way. So we can't exalt one person or one gift about another. Now, you might be saying, okay, that's fine so far, but what has this to do with Romans 12? Okay, I think we need that background, though, before we can get into the verses. I think there are three things in these verses that we need to look at. And don't worry, we will be finished on time. Famous last words. Anyhow, uh, three things. First of all, what Paul is saying. What's he saying about these gifts in the first place? Second, what gifts might you have? And third, how should you use them? That's what these verses cover. And I want to say something just at the end that uh, adds to this one, one little bit of practical stuff, but you'll see that when we get there. First of all, what Paul is saying. I think he's saying three things. First of all, in verse 3, look at yourself. By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Second, he goes on in verses 4 and 5 to say, look at the others. Just each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So look at the others too. And then finally, there's look at the situation, and that's verses 6 to 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him serve in proportion to his faith. And then he goes through the whole list of the seven gifts that he mentions here and says, this is how to do it. This is what you do with it. So he's saying, first of all, look at yourself. And the key word there, it seems to me, is look at yourself sensibly. Look at yourself with sober judgment, he says. In other words, don't get exalted and big-headed. God's given me a gift that nobody else has got. I'm going to be rich and famous. On the other hand, don't do yourself down. Don't say, oh, I'm not really, you know, I've not got any gifts. No, I'm just, I just sit in the back. Now, sometimes I hand out the hymn books, but that's all I can do. That's not the way it's supposed to be. God has given you something to use in his service. Find out what it is and use it to the full. Look at the others, though, and look at them appreciatively. This is not a competition. <laughs> this is not a, a situation where you're trying to get more than they've got. Because 1 Corinthians says, you know, the Holy Spirit... God, through the Holy Spirit, divides to each man severally as he will. He gives those gifts he wants to the people he wants to have them. And so appreciate that those other gifts are there for your benefit. Don't just try to get a whole collection for yourself. You say, ah, but isn't there a verse that says, covet earnestly the best gifts? Oh, yes, there is. But it's in the plural. You all together covet earnestly the best gifts. And what that verse is really saying is, covet them for your church, for your congregation. Say, Lord, we need more preaching ability in this church. Lord, we need more love for one another. Send us somebody who can show us how to do that. Lord, we need to, to, to go out and do things in the area that we're not doing. Give us an apostle. Give us somebody who's a pioneer. All of those kinds of things. Covet it for yourselves together. Not so that you can add to your pile, Lord, give me this gift and this gift and this gift and this gift, and then I will be a super Christian. That's not the way it goes. So then you look at the situation. That's verses 6 to 8. And I think the key word here is imaginatively. Look at the different places that your gift can be used. And that's what Paul's saying in 6 to 8 as he lists those gifts. He's saying if you've got this gift, then use it to the full. If you've got this gift, then look for places where you can do it. If you've got this gift, then do it cheerfully out of a glad heart. Otherwise, it's not much uh, that you're giving to the other people. In other words, use it as fully and 
thoughtfully as you possibly can in every situation where it applies. So, second thing he talks about then is what you might have. And he lists seven gifts. As I say, this is not a complete list of all the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 is quite a different list. And uh, Ephesians 4 is a list of people, not things. So that's a different list again. Um, but anyhow, here we are in Romans 12. What does he list? Obviously, the things that the Romans had going for them mostly. First of all, there's the gift of prophecy. Now, you tend to think, when you think of a prophet, of an Old Testament prophet like Ezekiel or Jeremiah, saying, as I say, uh, as I, according to the Lord, there will be no rain in this country for the next three years, according to my word. That was Elijah. <laughs> and uh, you tend to think of, of, of an Old Testament prophet like that. Prophecy is not necessarily that. Prophecy is just understanding what God is saying into a particular situation. And some people have a gift for that, who just suddenly say, you know, I think what God is saying to us now is this. Or it might not even be that definite. Sometimes it's just, do you think it's possible that what we need to do is this? And other people hear it and their mouth drops open. That's from God. That is amazing. And some people have that gift. It needn't be a, a, a big, spectacular, fancy thing, but some people have the gift of prophecy. Understanding what God is saying, not just through scripture, that's a different gift, that's teaching, but understanding what he's saying in your situation here and now. Second, there's the gift of serving. And that covers all kinds of service to other people, supporting other people, encouraging them, meeting the teachers, all kinds of things. There's the gift of teaching. And that can be either doing what I'm doing now, standing up here, or it can be a small group. It can be what's happening through the back there. But using what you know about the Bible to inform the minds of other people and help them to move forward in, in, in understanding the gospel and Christian living. Then there's the gift of encouraging. And that's the word parakaleo, which means to exhort, to stand beside, to encourage somebody forward, to keep somebody moving. It can mean saying hard things sometimes. That's part of parakalesis as well. It can mean rebuking and standing in somebody's way sometimes, but only because you love them and because you want to help them. And you say those hard things not to criticize, but to help them see that there's a different way they could be doing it. And the gift of encouragement is something that some people have got big time. You know, there are some Christians that when you see them, you just glow, don't you? I used to work years ago when I was a student with an old evangelist, a county's evangelist from Northamptonshire called Ivor Powell an old Welshman, who, he was just lovely, he was attractive. And when he went out knocking on people's doors, you know, they were glad to see him. It wasn't, no, this is, I'm too busy, go away. It was, come in, Ivor, have a cup of tea. I always remember he used to lead me up when he wanted me to play the guitar in one of his tent meetings. The phone calls always started like, hello, hello, is that John Allen? He'd say, yes, hello, Ivor. He'd say, praise God. <laughs> and he was just so warm and so friendly. It was unbelievable. And even if it was just him, him calling up about a date he couldn't make, and you'd have to say, no, sorry, I can't do that one, you'd still put the phone down and walk away with a glow because he was just an encourager. And, and people are like that, aren't they? Then there's sharing. And sharing, I put down sharing rather than giving, which it, what it says in most translations, because it's not just giving. It's taking something you've got and giving it to somebody else so that they can use it, but still staying invested in it yourself. I bought something on PayPal this week. And when you uh, buy something through PayPal at the moment online, there's a little box at the bottom that says, you can also give a pound to DEC to help in the floods in, in, in uh, Pakistan. And, uh, you know, when I, I see that box at the bottom, I think it. Because it's only a pound, you know, I'm giving it to people that need it. And then I have no further interest in what happens to that money. 
I mean, it's a nice thing to do, but it's, it doesn't cost me anything very much. Just a pound. And Auntie is looking at me as if you're spending our pounds like that. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> no, she gets more than I do, to be fair. And, I, I, and uh, you know, I'm involved in that, apart from that. But the gift of sharing means that you're, you're involved. You give people something that you carry on being involved in. You don't just say, oh, here you are, now go away and don't bother me any longer. So that's an important gift as well. Then there's a gift of leading. And it means standing out in front. And there are people who've got the gift of modeling for other people what they ought to be and saying, this is the way we're going. This is, how, this is what you need to be like. And they'll cast a vision for others. They maybe sometimes don't even realize they're doing it, but they become a model to other people. When I was about 16, 17, I used to go and visit an old man in our church called Mr. Hunter. He's been dead for years and years now, but his impact in my life still goes on. And uh, he really taught me an awful lot about what it was like to follow Jesus faithfully. And uh, I don't think he ever knew that. I, th I think he thought I was just coming to see him to be kind, which I was, but, you know, there was more to it. I was getting more out of those encounters than he was. And if you'd said to Willie Hunter, you know, you are a leader, he'd say, no, no, me, son, no, no, you've got the wrong address here. But he was. And he stood out in front of me and showed me what I could be. And so all of these gifts can be big, showy, spectacular things, or they can be small things. Then there's finally the gift of caring. Of, uh, uh, it's the way that Paul describes it here is the gift of, of, of showing mercy. And that's where in extreme situations, where there is, is, is a real problem in people's lives, you take the initiative. You go barreling in there and you sort it out. You do whatever you can to help. Some people are just looking for situations like that because that's a gift that God has given them. And they straight into help as soon as anything goes wrong. Other people might send a card. They might end up three days later. But no, you're on the doorstep straight away because that's your gift. And so we need all of those gifts uh, to, 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 to make the church function as, as God wants it to, the body of Christ. Then you've got the question of how you should use it. And I'm not going to go into this this morning because we're almost on time. But... Um, this, of course, is uh, Eugene Peterson who wrote the, the, the message, and I just want to quote the way this comes up in the message translation. Well, almost, because the first gift, he says, if you preach, preach only God's message, and he's talking about prophecy. I think prophecy is a different thing. In the Greek, it's a different word, so I've changed that first one, okay? So in the interest of full disclosure, that's what's going on here. Otherwise, it's the message. This is what he says. If you prophesy... My, my translation, just give God's message nothing else. Don't go beyond what God has given you to say. If you help, just help. Don't take over. It's not about you. It's about helping appropriately. If you teach, stick to your teaching. Do it. Do it. Do it. Stir up that gift. Study Deuteronomy before you preach a mega series on it. If you keep giving courage and guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. And the final one where Paul is talking about showing mercy, he says do it cheerfully. And the word is a word from which we get the word hilarity. And that explains what, how Peterson translates it here. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Now, he's probably not got everything out of those words that they mean, but it's a very, very practical version of it. This is how you do it. And Paul says, look, God's given you gifts. Use them for one another and use them to the full. 
Because when you hold back your gift from me, you are robbing me. And when I hold back my gift from you, I am robbing you. God has given those gifts to us so a whole church can benefit through them. That's what's supposed to be going on here. And finally, I said in my last minute, I, I, I said I was going to end with something practical. And you might be thinking, okay, that's fine, but how do I know what I've got? <clears throat> well, I think the church leadership has a responsibility to detect and develop and encourage and deploy the gifts of people in the church. And uh, sometimes leaders are not very good at that. I well remember when I was called by God to go into evangelism, going to the elders of my church to say, do you really think I should be doing this or not? And I was so scared going into that meeting, so scared that some of these guys would say, <laughs> come on, who do you think you are? No, 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 you go back to being a student. And when I went in there and said, look, I think God is calling me to go into evangelism. They just smiled at me and said, yeah, we wondered how long it would take you to come and see us. And I remember being, feeling two things. One, that's great. But also second, thank you very much, guys. You could have given me a hint before now, surely. And uh, that's a responsibility of leaders, to help young people and other people coming into the church, growing in Christ, to find out what gifts they've got and to use them properly. But there are questions you can ask yourself as well. So let me just fire seven at you in my last half minute. What do you enjoy doing? Because that's part of it. You, the gifts that you've got will reflect the personality that Jesus has already given you. What do others benefit from me doing? Because I know a lot of people who think they've got the gift of preaching and they really enjoy doing it, but it bores other people silly. <laughs> so what do others get out of it? What am I good at in the rest of my life? Because okay, maybe being a great goalkeeper has got nothing to do with your spiritual gifts. But on the other hand, God has given you natural talents which will probably be reflected in your spiritual gifts because the God of creation and the God of redemption are one and the same God. <laughs> so if you're a great used car salesman, you might well be a good evangelist as well. It doesn't always work that way, but sometimes it does. What do other people see in me? What do other people think I'm good at? That's not uh, infallible, but it's another question to ask. How has God used me in the past? What has God actually done through me to bless other people up until now? Maybe there are some signs and signals there. What do I get excited about in Christian work? What are the things that really get me inspired and visionary? What do I want to see really going ahead in the church? That will tell you where you are as well. And the downside, the converse of that is, where do I get impatient when somebody's doing it badly? Think of Gordon sitting there in, in Nottingham thinking these guys are doing it all wrong. I'll have to go out there and show them how it's done. And then in the process he discovers a new gift that nobody knew he had. So ask yourself some of those questions. Work out what gifts God has given you. And then when you find them out, says Paul, use them to the full. Let's finish this service, shall we, with a quick prayer. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, once again, we discover another implication of what your great plan of salvation means for us. It means that you've given us stuff that we never asked for, that we didn't deserve, but which we can use to satisfy ourselves bring pleasure to you and really help other people around us. Help us be aware of what we've got. Help us think soberly about it. Save us from big-headedness and save us from empty futility and despair at the same time. Give us a good estimate of what you want us to be doing next as we offer our bodies to you to living sacrifices day by day by day. Lead us more and more into your will 
so that together as a church we can be a true representation of what you want to do with your people a functioning part of the body of Christ that's effective and powerful and blesses everybody that comes into contact with it we ask it for Jesus' sake